Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, which is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI, as well as sharing the latest news that we think is relevant to the CDI profession and, of course, to Actus. I'm Carla Kozak, and I'm an editor and product coordinator for Actus. I'll also be your host for today's show, which is part of our Conversations with Carla series. In every episode of this series, I'm joined by a guest who's behind one of our most popular Actus educational offerings to share their expertise with me and with all of you. Today's topic is sepsis, which is a frequently requested topic. And my guest today is Deanne Wilk, MPS, BSN, RN, CCDS, CCDSO, CDIP, CCS. Deanne is a CDI education specialist for Actus at HC Pro. She serves as a full-time instructor for the CDI boot camps and as a subject matter expert for Actus. Wilk is an accomplished healthcare professional with a diverse background in health information, medical coding, nursing, and clinical documentation integrity. With a strong passion for making a difference, she's dedicated her career to improving the quality and integrity of clinical documentation within the healthcare environment for improved patient care. Having received a master's degree from Penn State University and BSN from Drexel University, she acquired the necessary skills and knowledge to establish CDI programs, direct CDI departments for large academic medical systems and community hospitals, and educate throughout the CDI profession. And I do just want to quickly remind you about the fact that the Actus podcast offers 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after posting, which can be used towards your CCDS or CCSO recertification requirements. We'll share the instructions at the end of the show, so please stay tuned for that. And now before before Deanne and I jump into our conversation about sepsis, just a brief word from today's sponsor. Were you or your team unable to attend the 2023 Actus Conference in Chicago? Well, this is your chance to catch up on what you missed. Join us next week, Tuesday through Thursday, for Actus Encore, Clinical Encoding Online, a special virtual event featuring audio recorded live from the Clinical Encoding Track at the 2023 Actus National Conference. This much-loved staple of the annual conference features core clinical encoding components vital to those engaged in ongoing medical record reviews, flourish professionally and personally through powerful must-attend sessions such as Full Alert, a guide to improving trauma service documentation, What's in a Drop, interpreting CBC results, and to query or not to query, a decision tree approach to sepsis, plus so much more. We're also including two keynote sessions from the conference, The Choice to Flourish, presented by Actus Interim Director Lori L. Prescott, and The Importance of Being You, Lessons in Authenticity, presented by former Actus Director Brian Murphy. Join us and revive your pride in the profession at Actus Encore Clinical Encoding Online. Thank you again for joining me today, Deanne. I'm really excited to have you here with me today to talk sepsis because it's something that we get so many questions about and so many requests for additional information. So um, I think we're going to have a really awesome conversation that a lot of people are going to find helpful. So to, to kick us off, can you start by talking a little bit about the clinical indicators that support the diagnosis of sepsis versus severe sepsis and septic, septic shock? Yeah, so key clinical indicators for the diagnosis of sepsis include, first of all, uh, evidence of infection. So anytime we see an infectious process in the record, we should be evaluating for sepsis on a daily basis. 
And then next we look at the specific parameters of what we call the systemic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS criteria, some say SEERS criteria. Um, and that may include fever or low temp, uh, tachycardia, tachypnea, leukocytosis, or leukopenia even. And the diagnosis of severe sepsis involves identifying our signs of organ dysfunction, such as elevated serum creatinine, low platelet count, elevated liver enzymes, maybe even altered mental status, or a respiratory compromise. And then to the extreme is our septic shock, which is characterized by inadequate tissue perfusion, despite inadequate fluid resuscitation, which often manifests in a persistent hypotension, despite the administration of our vasopressor support. Okay. Thank you for that level of detail. Um, It's interesting how they all kind of have similarities, but they're clearly distinct conditions. How can we differentiate between sepsis-related organ dysfunction and organ dysfunction that's caused by other conditions? Differentiating sepsis-related organ dysfunction from other causes sometimes can be a challenge. So we have to closely examine the patient's medical history, what their current conditions are, looking at their diagnostic results, and, um, and often their clinical presentation is, is often a very big clue. It's crucial to look at that physical assessment. But documentation should clearly link organ dysfunction to sepsis and rule out alternative explanations for the dysfunction. So it does require that CDI speciali- specialists uh, critically think through these. They need to give consideration to alternatives. And um, when there is question, they should query providers um, when the evidence, you know, is there and and there's still um, question on whether it is or not. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would be tricky, but also very important to distinguish between the two for um, accurate coding and accurate reporting and also just accurate patient medical history. Right. What are the most common documentation pitfalls related to sepsis? I'd be remiss if I had you on the Actus podcast and didn't ask you about (laughs) documentation. Yeah, so uh, some of the common pitfalls uh, that we see are, of course, incomplete documentation um, of the clinical indicators or even the support for sepsis. So lack of a clear link between the infection and the organ dysfunction is often another one failure to specify the severity of sepsis. So the ways that we can address these are often proactive education, right? And that may entail a case study, you know, doing case study feedbacks, having ongoing communication between the CDI specialist and the providers, um, you know, really requiring developing an understanding of one another's perspective you know, where, where are they seeing sepsis? What are they, you know, indicators are they using to identify it? And then from our perspective, we need to educate out, here's where the documentation needs are in order for us to properly report sepsis. Yeah. Communication between the different groups is definitely really key, but I know it can be tricky sometimes to communicate effectively with everyone, whether that's CDI to physicians or physicians to CDI. 
Do you have any advice for how CDI specialists can communicate with physicians or other healthcare providers to clarify that ambiguous or incomplete sepsis documentation? Yeah. So like I mentioned, um, you know, CDI and providers uh, and even throwing coding in here, um, they all need to have a collaborative approach. So they need to provide very clear evidence-based queries uh, that focus on improving patient care utmost, you know, number one. And if we do those things, then we will impact, you know, the reimbursement and the quality measures. But really, it's about representing the patient, telling the story of the patient and um, having developing and utilizing very specific organizational indicators um, is is very helpful. You know, it really helps to ensure that providers are given the resources um, that they need, whether it's in documentation, whether it's in their EHRs, um, and a full understanding so that all are on the same page when we're talking about sepsis, both clinically and in documentation and then in coding. Right. Yeah, it's important that everyone's speaking the same language, so to speak, when when you're dealing with things like that. What are some effective educational strategies to help physicians and other healthcare providers understand the importance of accurate sepsis documentation? I know sometimes it can be difficult. Like you said, it's important to get us all on the same page, but sometimes it can be difficult to do that. So how can CDI specialists help to educate the healthcare providers as to the importance of all this? Yeah, well, you know, just as Lori Prescott's telling me that, you know, in the new IPPS, we're looking at sepsis inequality measure now, and um, even more so than it's been in the past, and making it part of the uh, VBP. So we have to address this. Um, And there's a million ways that we can approach this. So things like grand rounds, doing workshops on sepsis, building, um, establishing clinical indicator committees at your organization to talk about sepsis, doing case-based learning, whether it's coming from coding or quality or CDI or peer-to-peer, having a lot of peer-to-peer discussion. You know, when you, uh, we often use peer-to-peer when um, CDI is educating, but they're not getting anywhere. They're not getting through um, or providers aren't quite understanding what they're asking. Sometimes that peer-to-peer will kind of bridge that gap. And then last, providing data. You know, if we can provide data to show how accurate documentation does improve our patient's care, um, our quality metrics, our reimbursement, um, sometimes data speaks louder and better than anyone. So those are my, what, what I would recommend for those. I've heard that a lot anecdotally from other CDI specialists that the data speaks so loudly when um, you're working with providers that they're just naturally um, driven by data. So anytime you can bring that to the table, I think it's really huge. And you did touch on this a little bit um, when you mentioned sepsis in terms of quality and the VBP, but what are the potential financial and compliance risks that might come about if there's inaccurate or incomplete sepsis documentation? So some of the, so financial risk can fall when you are documenting it and when you're not documenting it. And I have um, experience with this, but 
it your financial risks include your improper reimbursement, of course, um, and then you also have potential revenue loss uh, for the facility, and that can fall on both sides of the equation. Um, an example would be you are not capturing sepsis enough, so you're losing reimbursement there due to the localized infection. This also can occur when you're capturing too much sepsis based on SERS criteria. And this is where we see a lot of organizations um, with high rates of denials occurring. So again, it really takes a very um, structured definition for sepsis in your facility. Are you going to use sepsis 2, sepsis 3, combination, and really going about it from that perspective. The other thing on your, um, we often see impact on the CMS PEPR reporting. So PEPR, you know, is your quality measure coming from CMS as to your, how you're diagnosing the rate of diagnosing certain conditions. And we often see this with sepsis. Sepsis is one of those conditions that they monitor. Now, depending on which definition you're using, you may have, you may be an outlier for coding it, reporting it too often, or you may see that other conditions such as pneumonia may see a greater increase um, because they're not being reported to sepsis anymore, but more of the localized effect infection. The thing I want to mention is that, again, you're looking to accurately tell the story of the patient, right? So, you know, whether it's just pneumonia um, and it's not sepsis, you're accurately reporting what's going on with the patient, right? And that's really where the quality of care comes from. So that's what we want to, um, you know, make our focus. And the other thing I want to mention with that is, you know, to ensure when we are capturing these diagnoses, that we are all following the query practice brief, you know, the AHEMA Actus Query Practice Brief, because it's not just CDI encoding that do queries now. It's things um, we're seeing um, ED coordinators for sepsis and um, case managers and, um, you know, different areas within the organization that are doing these queries to ensure proper documentation. And we want to ensure that we're remaining compliant uh, with that query process throughout the organization and doing periodic reviews of our queries uh, across the board. Yeah, and if the queries aren't compliant, that can actually result in a denial, right, Dan? Right, right. Yeah, not well, not only a denial, but you may invite some unexpected guests to your door. <laughs> to evaluate. Yeah, so you want to make sure that you're always maintaining compliance, yeah. Yeah, that's really important. And when the CDI specialist is doing the medical record review, what are some specific elements that they can look for to help validate the presence of severity of sepsis for accurate coding and reimbursement? So some of the, like I mentioned, one of the first things you're looking for is the infection site. So where's the source? You know, what's the infectious source? Uh, you're looking for the causative organism looking at your blood cultures, looking at your localized site, is it a device perhaps even, uh, looking at your clinical indicators for SERS criteria, which is within your vital signs, looking at your mentation assessment, whether it's by the provider or nursing, um, you know, different scores, your NIH scores, things like that, and looking at your organ dysfunctions. So lab results of the WBCs, your platelets, liver function tests, 
your BUN creatinine, and then finally looking at things like your treatment. So what are we, what antibiotics are we using? Um, what's the treatment response to the antibiotics and the use of, of course, vasopressors with our um, septic shock. That's really what will help to validate and support that presence of uh, and the severity of sepsis. Right. And in light of, or I should say, from the, the perspective of clinical validation, I do want to talk about queries again. How are clinical validation queries different for sepsis compared to other medical conditions. And like you said, it's so important to keep these queries compliant for so many different reasons. And so what are some best practices if we need to construct a clinical validation query for sepsis? So our sepsis queries do require specific attention to the clinical criteria. We also look at the severity. So you're going to send a very different query when you're trying to get support for sepsis versus trying to distinguish between you know, sepsis and septic shock. And then also we want to include the documentation of the infection aspect. So best practice often involves being very clear, being very concise in what we're asking without leading or suggesting a response, right? So one of the important aspects to sepsis queries is to obtain them early. We want clear documentation that sepsis was considered early or uh, present on admission or POA. We also want to ensure through query or even education that sepsis is resolved by discharge. So this means we want to keep sepsis in the documentation throughout the stay. And, And I always like to say, get it beginning, middle and end, right? And you want to utilize, you want to educate statements to your providers for really all their acute conditions. You know, are they present, were they resolved, or were they ruled out during the stay, right? And that's kind of what you want to do. By the end of the stay, everything should hopefully be resolved that was an issue. But you want to teach your providers to, to document that way. You know, and that way it's very clear by the end, you know, by discharge, Um, what had happened during this stay and what's now resolved and what will be forthgoing um, in the continuity of care of your patient then. Um, I apologize if this is a silly question, but if the sepsis has been resolved on discharge, it should no longer appear on the problem list, right? Is that how that would work? You can list it on, well, you can list it on the problem list, but Ongoing, then it would be laid. It would be documented as a historical condition. Got it. Okay. But yeah, you you know, as we know with the you know the Sepsis Alliance and and all the quality out there, that sepsis is not a once and done. That there is a lot of you know fallout that can occur from having a diagnosis of sepsis. You know, there's a lot of sequelae or late effects that can occur for patients that you know were impacted by sepsis. Well, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> no, thank you for indulging yeah. me. I'm always trying to build on my clinical knowledge, and sometimes I need help with those more basic questions. So I appreciate that. Are there any specific sepsis quality indicators that CDI specialists should be aware of? Um, anything that they can help track to improve metrics? How, how can CDI help here? Yeah, so we are seeing a lot of teams, a lot of CDI coding teams involved in sepsis work. So sepsis quality indicators, 
um, you know, get with the guidelines. We look at that time to antibiotic administration, the mortality rates. We look at, um, you know, the timing of fluids and things like that. So sepsis is often a condition that is reviewed post-discharge yet pre-bill um, to ensure that it's specific, that it's supported. Uh, and then we have, you know, other individuals out there, sepsis coordinators, ED coordinators, quality managers that are evaluating um, those get with the guidelines um, and working with CDI specialists to ensure that documentation is in place, that the diagnosis is well supported. Um, and then we track these metrics, identify areas of improvement and work together on, you know, different targeted interventions. So a lot of great work is happening out there um, with CDI and quality on sepsis. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of working together and along those lines, how can CDI specialists also collaborate with coding and billing to ensure proper reimbursement for sepsis or sepsis-related cases? Well, I think having uh, regular meetings, having open communication channels, doing joint education sessions can help collaborate uh, CDI and coding and billing teams. They need to share different insights. They need to stay up on regulations. Um, again, identifying those indicators that both are utilizing when they're identifying uh, sepsis. And normally the issue of sepsis is usually with severe sepsis from a CDI coding standpoint and even provider. You know, providers often document sepsis, but they do not document severe sepsis. It's not in their lingo necessarily unless they've been really highly educated right. or they don't link the organ dysfunction. So this is where we need to ensure the query reaches the provider to clarify the, the specificity of sepsis. And both CDI and coding need to work together to make that happen. Got it. So it's everybody has their own piece to the puzzle. And right. when, it, when it all comes together, that's how it works so perfectly. Right, right. Well, we are out of time, Deanne. We covered a lot here. So thank you. Yeah, sure I, I really appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to. It's just, it's been a really great, conversation. And I do want to let our audience know that if they have any questions about this topic, please feel free to email the Actus team at info at That email is also in today's show notes, which are available on the show page at actus.org and in your podcast app. So you can grab it from there. Again, Deanne, thank you so much for joining me today. I know sepsis and clinical topics can sometimes get a little dry, but I really appreciate everything you shared here. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Now it's time for the Actus Update, a regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going on inside the association. I do want to start with a quick note about our upcoming quarterly conference call. The quarterly conference call for this month has been moved to Thursday, August 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. It'll feature Actus Interim Director Lori Prescott, who will be discussing the 2024 IPS final rule. It will also include a panel discussion with members of the Actus Advisory Board focused on key performance indicators in CDI. If you have any questions for Lori or the Actus Advisory Board about our topics, you can submit questions to the Actus Director of Programming, Rebecca Hendren, at r-h-e-n-d-r-e-n at actus.org. That's rhendren at actus.org. I'm also pleased to announce that the Actus Leadership Council, founded in 2019, is now accepting applications for new members. 
You can apply anytime and through Thursday, August 31st to join the 2023 and 2024 term. Benefits of being a part of the Leadership Council include a dedicated council forum, council-led panel discussions, bi-monthly webinars featuring active CEUs, exclusive access to the monthly CDI Leadership e-newsletter, which is sent just to council members and allows them to share resources, experiences, and ask questions. You'll also get exclusive invitations to opportunities such as the annual CDI Leadership Exchange, our mastermind groups, and our new mentorship program. It's free to join the council and you don't need to be an ACTUS member. You just need to be sure to submit your application by the deadline. The ACTUS team will be notifying applicants in early September about whether they have been accepted. We really hope you'll consider joining our leadership council and applying today. Lastly, I do just want to invite you all to reach out to us at infoactus.org if you have a story that you think could help others in the CDI profession, or if you have a topic that you'd like to see covered on the Actus podcast, we're always looking for ideas and we're absolutely always looking for new guests to feature on the show. Whether you have a topic suggestion or a guest that you recommend we reach out to, and it can even be yourself, email us at info at with your suggestions. Our goal with this program is to make it as useful to you as possible. And you using your voice to tell us how we can do that is key to our success. So thank you in advance for your consideration. And we really hope to hear from you about how we can better serve you through the Actus podcast. All topics are welcome, as are all guest recommendations. And as always, you can find the link for more information about all of these updates in today's show notes. As a reminder before we close out, each Actus podcast episode now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs, which can be used towards recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential for those who listen to the show in the first two days from the time of publication. To receive your 0.5 CEUs, you'll first want to go to the show page on actus.org. You can get there by clicking the Actus podcast link under the resources tab and then clicking on today's episode from the list on that page. Then you'll want to scroll down to the recording of today's episode and press play. At the very end of the video, all the way at the end when the timer gets to zero, a link to the CEU evaluation will appear. Click on that, take the survey, and your certificate will be automatically emailed to you upon submitting the brief evaluation. Be sure to enter a personal email address, not your work email address, because many organizations have strict spam blockers that will prevent your attached CEU certificate from coming through. Those instructions are also laid out on the show page, so you can follow along there too. The cutoff for today's episode CEU is Friday, August 18th at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you won't be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode. If you listen to all the episodes and claim all the CEUs for the podcast episodes this year, you'll have earned 13 free CEUs for the year. So it's a really great thing to take advantage of here. With that, we have reached the end of today's Actus podcast episode. We'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday, August 30th with a new episode featuring an interview focused on denials and a conversation with the Actus team about ongoing association activities. If you'd like to receive reminders about each episode, please make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which will always include a link to the new episode when it's available. 
You can listen to our show at any time on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others like you find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dian Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazar, both obtained from the Free Music Archive. Thank you for your time today, and until next time, take care.